Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have a very interesting show. A number of topics to take up. We're going to be discussing, Mitzah Hashem, the, uh, the Kosher Fest, which takes place tomorrow and Wednesday. And we're going to be discussing uh, the $1,000 pastrami sandwich. We're going to be discussing some interesting shilas, in particular, which different Paiskim decided about. We're going to discuss them. Um, it, it, we're going to also include them about travel, especially on a boat. And if we get a chance, we'll also discuss uh, Israeli hashkachas. So we've got quite a few things planned for this evening. Hopefully, time will allow for all of them to be discussed. But let me start first uh, with the kosher fest. I'm going to give a very brief piece on it, because we've talked about it so many times. It actually is the 30th year of Kosher Fest, and I go back even before Kosher Fest, when Irving Silverman started the whole idea of an exhibition. He called it an exhibition. He didn't call it a a Kosher Fest. But uh, really, the Kosher Fest, I believe that WINS Wins Radio gave it the first name of Kosher Fest when they were talking about that program. They said it was... or the mayor or somebody said that it was the greatest kosher fest. So I think that's where they got the name from. In any event, uh, the kosher fest, what we know as kosher fest, which has been run basically by Rabbi Menachem and Lubinsky. Now it's owned by Diversified, uh, which owns a number of uh, shows. So this, uh, this kosher fest, which is taking place tomorrow and on Wednesday in the, uh, in Secaucus, New Jersey, in the Exhibition Center, the Meadowlands Exhibition Center. It's been going on for 30 years, and we've been with it for all that time. And, of course, the growth of Kashrus, uh, you know, in America is, is amazing. And uh, I was talking today, actually came with me, when we were setting up the booth, a gentleman who, who deals with uh, many of the kosher food companies that are trying to get out into the national market. And that's basically what he does. He is a broker and gets these Hamish companies out into the secular world. So actually the products are becoming available all across the United States. It's an amazing phenomenon. At one time, you could only find a Hamish product in a, in a Williamsburg or a Borough Park store. And today you can really find that anywhere in America. Not the, as much as... Uh, the the national five big hashkachas, but you are getting more and more product out there. It happened also in the summers, if you remember the shop rights in the, the mountains, then it got into the shop right system, so you got a further and further. You have your uh, kosher experience in many of the centers, the stores. You have many, many, many kosher products and kosher lines in the stores. No more just uh, filter fish and matzah. No, today kashrus is really uh, over the whole country. And it's it's an amazing phenomenon. Uh, Rabashkin did a lot to spread the meat, the fresh meat, and uh, the, but now that that's not here, it's a it's a little bit of a change game. However, they picked up the slack, and you can get pretty much anything anywhere. You didn't have to rely on a special Chabad rabbi bringing in some food. Maybe Chal of Israel, you still have to import, but the rest of it, you can get almost anything anywhere. So we're going to talk a little bit about Kosher Fest. The main thing I want to make everybody aware of, what we say every year, is that 
Kosher Fest is uh, companies that are putting out food and that are trying to sell to other companies. Let's say they're trying to sell to supermarket chains. So when they put their food out, the Kashkocha doesn't come along with them. These are trade shows. The trade shows go on all over the, the world. And the Hashkocha doesn't go on a trade show. So to offset that, what they set up a number of years ago, not in the beginning, but now it was set up, that they have a mashkiach going around the entire show, which is hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of booths, a couple of hundred places selling food, giving away food, giving it a tasting and taking orders. And all of this is under the hands of one man, which is... Uh, a service of the uh, of kosher fest to the different uh, the different vendors who take the booths. It also ends up to be a service to the people who are eating there. And uh, I spoke with the gentleman today again, and he told me, you know, everything's fine. And he said, I have to work the hardest today, which is the Erev, because that's when you set up all the booths. That's when the machinery comes in, and he's got to make sure the machinery was approved. Once you open up the machinery and you uh, start cooking things, we'll never, uh, we'll never be able to examine it properly again. But it comes in sometimes in the sealed fashion. Uh, a rabbi certified that it was, it was taken care of, that it was kosher. You need some kind of level of credibility before they actually come into the, uh, in, 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 into the kosher fest. So that's what uh, the, the rabbi, who was the mashkiach, was in charge of. My main concern is two, three, two or three things. Actually, I said concern. My main concerns are a few things. One, he's one man, and it's a huge operation. I personally think it's beyond one man. I argue every year about it, and I don't get anywhere. And they tell me, think of a new question. <laughs> okay, but I still have the old question. It doesn't go away. Number two, uh, this milkworks and flavors and parva. And sometimes there's more than there's milkers and fleshes, or milkers and parv at the same booth. And if you're eating fleshics, then you have to remember what you're up to, because you can't, there's no six hours in between. So you really have to know what you're eating, what's on your plate, etc., etc. In addition to that, um, you might see staff that's not from. So, for example, uh, pouring, uh, you accept somebody pouring uh, wine for you. Are you convinced that everything is fine? Maybe it's a bushel, maybe it's not, maybe there's a from person there. This is your problem. This is no one's going to be able to stop it, but that's what is being done, and presumably the mashkiach makes sure that it's done properly. In addition, you, you have little things that could be brought in, and this does happen sometimes at Kosher Fest, that a cracker is being brought in to, to use for the product that they are selling in that booth. And where do they get the crackers? Or if you see the box, maybe you could be soymich on it. I don't think you can, but let's say you could be soymich on it. Is that, you don't see the box where the crackers from. Are they, are they theirs? Was it approved by the rabbi? These are things that thinking people have to worry about. One hashkoch, I'm not going to mention the name, puts out every year at Kosher Fest a little piece of paper saying, be careful. And he descri- they describe what the issues are. So if you're there, you can stop in at our booth, which is 843, say hello, love to speak to you, and uh, and, and then if you have any questions, you can always ask us over there, booth eight, 843, 
at the Kosher Fest tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, let, let me go on now to a different topic. This is something that's very close to my heart. You know, <laughs> there's some things you do in life that you're really happy about. Maybe we didn't, weren't aware of it at the time, but you're really very happy about it. And I, I did one thing once, and I'm not afraid to tell everybody. I did one thing once that I think was wonderful, and I only really realized it later on how wonderful it was. I spent one meal with Rosa Victor Miller he, as his guest. I was at a Friday night, Sauda, with Rosa Victor Miller in his house. It was he, the Rebbitson, myself, and, the grand, and his grandson. And that was it. And it was an amazing time. I appreciated it then. And uh, how it happened is a whole story in itself, but not for tonight. And I, I definitely appreciated it. I got a lot out of it. But I didn't realize how special it was. So I'm going to read to you a story that I read. Uh, maybe I'll tell you, maybe I won't tell you where I got it from. And I'm going to explain a little bit to you about it. Now, the Miller has there's a grandson of Simcha Bunim Kohn, who's the Rav of Kahala Teres Yeshaya in Lakewood, New Jersey. Now, Rabbi Kohn, I'm going to read from him in a few minutes. I'm going to tell you about a very special discussion he had with learning from Rabbi Vigda Miller what eating is all about. We've discussed maybe some of this before when we had that piece on Rabbi Miller with, the, with, with Torres of Vigdor. Okay, but this is unique. And I'm going to tell you now it's very unique. You're definitely going to remember what we, do, we talked about here. It seems that earlier this year, in, in uh, actually, I'm sorry, it was in December of 2017, or a year ago, it seems that uh, there's a... Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is. Maybe it was this year. I think it was this year. Yes, it was. I think it was February of this year um, when they had the Super Bowl. So there's a a restaurant in Cedarhurst, New York. It's called Doma Land and Sea. That's the name of the restaurant. And it's a it, it, very interesting restaurant. We're going to talk a little bit about the restaurant. And it's a kosher restaurant. And they specialize in steaks. That's the, the land. And seafood, that's the sea. So Doma land and sea. And uh, this is not a plain, ordinary restaurant. In some ways, it's not very different than other restaurants. In some ways, it's very unique. They, they have, for example, in this restaurant, nice high-end, or I think high-end, steaks are 49 to $59. They have a 42-ounce tomahawk chop. That, that for two, that cost one hundred and twenty dollars. The burger, the house burger, when you know, got like a, like a hamburger, it, it, it's it's with twenty eight day dry aged beef. It's thirty two dollars for a hamburger. And uh, it's it's a little interesting about you know the, the, about the place. What I thought was interesting also is that they have a full bar, and it seats fifteen. So uh, people do spend some serious time at the bar. And that's the, the clientele, that's what they have. Now, I studied it a little bit more. This is all my own. My own. <laughs> Please don't uh, ask questions of how I got into all this. But it, it just was, it struck me, so I decided I'm going to find out a little bit more. 
they have a certain dish there, and I didn't know what it was. And I don't feel bad that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it certainly wasn't in Rav Miller's house. It's called kvitcha. It's a kind of fish, kvitcha. And this kvitcha is a per- Peruvian dish. It's made of uh, of uh, uncooked, of raw fish. And what they do is that they uh, they use uh, certain uh, juices, like lime juice, lemon juice, orange juice, and that, that treats the fish, and it makes it sort of kind of boil, and it it cures it in some way it's and instead of instead of actually cooking it so they eat this raw fish and they this marinating does not take care of the bacteria so you have to get the freshest fish from the most reliable supplier and that and and this store this this restaurant it serves kvitcha if i mispronounced it i've never been in peru that's that's a fact. <laughs> and anyway, Doma Land and Sea is selling kvitcha. Obviously, we're getting an idea of what the people are about. So they got a great idea. I mean, you know, it's America, right? And and the Super Bowl is like a, um, is as American as mom's apple pie. You got to have the Super Bowl. So they figured out, we're going to get the Super Bowl. We're going to do something very special. So what they did is, they made a thousand dollar pastrami sandwich, which is which is gonna be it's served in that restaurant in honor of Super Bowl. So you, you don't want you wanna know what they're doing for Super Bowl? They're serving a thousand dollar pastrami sandwich. And don't kid yourself, they probably did very well. To order this the, the sandwich, you must give a credit card order of a hundred dollars down payment. They're not gonna put this together just on a whim, and you walk out the door, <laughs> don't, don't eat it. So they, and then, you know, so you have to get this thing lined up in advance. I saw how it's made. Yes, I did. And you can also see how it's made. You could see how everything was put into this sandwich. It didn't look like $1,000 to me. I wouldn't even want to eat it. But, but it definitely was different from the bread, which wasn't a regular bread and to each one of the ingredients. But let me tell you a little more, more about this $1,000 sandwich. It, sa- it says that they it includes Glenlivet brined primed beef, foie gras, black and white truffles. Remember that? You have to have both. And then fused, by the way. That means that they sucked up the oil. They have special uh, truffle oil so that it's infused. It's not plain truffles, you understand. Champagne-infused mustard. That's what it says. Champagne in the mustard. A gold leaf. I don't know exactly about that part. And a flute of champagne to wash it all down. And you can see how Chef... Oscar Martinez makes this. You can see it. Yeah, that's a thousand dollars, and you have to, you know, put down a hundred dollar deposit by a credit card, or they won't in at least two hours in advance, or they won't put it together for you. That's a little bit about that. Now here's Rabbi Simcha Bunim Kong, Rabbi Avigdor Miller's grandson, commenting on the thousand dollar, the thousand dollar pastrami sandwich. Although I'm a simple Jew, said Rabbi Simcha Bunim Kohn, the fact that I'm a grandchild of Rabbi Vigda Miller 
qualifies me to speak about the $1,000 sandwich that was being sold in a kosher restaurant in Cedarhurst. I will do this by relating a principle from Rav Miller, which can change a person's life and is actually worth well more than $1,000. So listen carefully. In the 11th Pesach of Bratius, it describes how Hashem created the fruit and understandably lists all types of amazing qualities that fruits have. Asher zarobo al ha'aretz, eitz pri oser pri limino, esev mazria zera. These are explaining what Hashem wanted the ground of the trees to do in creating these fruits. But then in the 29th Pasuk, when Hashem is telling Odom HaRishon that he can't eat fruit, it again notes the quality of fruits as Zareya Zera. What's the reason for repeating this? And why is this point relevant to Odom HaRishon to know when he is being taught which food he can eat? To answer this, we must consider another question. Why did Hashem create humans with a need for eating? Why not just create them that they can function without needing ongoing nutrition? The answer is that Hashem wants a person to always be eating so that he'll continuously notice the greatness of Hashem who designed such wonderful foods. So eating is not the ultimate goal, but rather a means to see the miracle of Mizonosov Shal Adam, that God prepares the foods for man, which are greater than Kriyas Yamsov. It's greater than the splitting of the Red Sea to prepare food for people. For this reason, when Hashem told Adam Arishon that he could eat the fruit, he noted that those fruits which he'll be eating are truly wondrous and will lead him to Hashem. For this reason, we say, for the, the sake of his great name. That's the purpose of eating. Rav Miller himself was the best example of this concept. His face would shine as he ate because he was seeing all the wonders involved in the creating of this food, how the body digests it, and more. As it is well known, he would carry apple pits around in his pocket so that he could touch and see them as a way of coming closer to Hashem. He truly enjoyed his eating for all the right reasons. After I got married, I ate the Friday night sauda at Rav Miller, and after eating the fish, he shared with me the following thought. The Torah says that we should eat fish, kosher fish, because am kadosh ator, because we are a great a, a, a holy nation, which is to say that we eat kosher fish because we're aristocrats. Of the seven billion people on the planet, Hashem chose to create me as a Jew. And every time I eat kosher food, I have to appreciate that zechus I was given. Actually, it's a tremendous boost to one's self-esteem to think that he belongs to the Am Kodesh, Kadosh, that, I, that we belong to the holy nation, that produced as holy a people as the Satmar Rebbe, 
and the Chazonish. Can we believe that the Kloizen Bebe Rebbe did not eat Bishal Akum when he was in the concentration camps? Or that Rav Yoshev learned 15 to 16 hours a day when he was, even when he was 102 years old? And when we eat kosher food, remember that every single Jew is a part of Am Kadosh. Those involved in Ashgacha are playing a vital role in helping Jews fulfill their roles as aristocrats. And this gives a different perspective on the job that each of you is doing. Well, as he was talking to Mashkichim. When we hear that someone can spend $1,000 on a sandwich, we privately have to say to Hillam for him that he should come to a more complete understanding of what the real purpose of food is. As noted above, we eat food so, to, so as to recognize the greatness of Hashem. And when we eat kosher food, it instills within us a feeling of how we are connected to an aristocratic nation. We should be zoichet to absorb these lessons from the food we eat. Wow! That is beautiful. That is really beautiful. And I see, <laughs> I know that Rabbi, if you don't come, got to Rav Miller more often than I did. But he remembers exactly what he said there. He mentioned it at this, at this time that he, after he ate the fish. So I, I remember what he said to me after the whole meal. I asked him the question. Baruch Hashem, we had a number of children at that time. The family was away in Seattle, Washington, and I was stranded here in Brooklyn. It was for a few Shabbosim. And, uh, the, uh, and, and I asked him, I said, Rabbi Miller, it's difficult. A lot of kids, it's very difficult. So he said to me, children are like apartment houses. I looked at him. I didn't know what the man was saying. Children are like apartment houses? He said, yes, children are like apartment houses. The woman in apartment 3C is yelling. She's a leaky faucet. And she does, she's angry with you about it. And all you th- see is that at the end of the month, you're going to get a check for next month's rent. That's the way children are. They're crying, they're screaming, they're fetching. But you should look at it like they're going to pay off in the, this world and in the next world. So that's what you should be concentrating on, the payoff time. And I can tell you, it's true. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I got from Ramilla's uh, Sa'uda. But I thought that that, that piece is, is golden. The two thoughts, the one that the purpose of food is to appreciate that Hashem gave it to us, and for us to appreciate we need kosher, they were part of Am Kadoshato. They were a part of a holy nation. And somehow we're tied to the great people of history. This and the Satma Rebbe, the Khazanish, the Khazanbega Rebbe, and Rabbi Vigda Miller. So that gives you a little bit of a perspective. <laughs> I'm sorry about the sandwich. Maybe I ruined it for some of you. Maybe you had it. <laughs> I didn't know much about it, so uh, that's why I got interested in finding out what it was all about. And I see the people who were eating it were going down a different road. I want to share with you, I don't know how far we'll get on some of my plans here. 
uh, maybe out of order, I'm going to go about the Israeli Ashkachas because I think that's interesting. There isn't anything here that I don't know, but I'm going to share with you anyway. I only became aware of this organization yesterday. I was reading my mail a little bit late. and, uh, this is, and So I think it'll be interesting to all of you. There's a Rabbi Shmuel Wiener, or Weiner, I think it's pronounced Wiener, in Eretz Israel, and he has ZNT kosher, which ZNT stands for, uh, it's a name, they created the organization in in the name of uh, Zichron Nossin Svi, for the Rosh Hashiva, for Mir Yeshiva in Eretz Israel. There's a group of of Americans who are living in Ramat Eshkol, and Rabbi Wiener is the rabbi of the shul, and here's what he does. In addition, remember his 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 populace that he's serving as American Olim. The ZNT Hechsher was created to address two issues: that single and married Americans who live in Israel are faced with. It seems that when they come there, they're so confused with Ashgachas. I think people here are confused with Ashgachas, but it is what's even more confusing, especially when you come over right away. And therefore, this organization, this shul and this organization is to help the Americans in that regard. And they do an investigation, a clearinghouse of information, and also they give Ashgacha at a number of locations. Currently, I think it's four locations. They develop relationships with different restaurants so they have, can evaluate their kashrus standards. And where appropriate, they give hashkocha, sometimes it's the main hashkocha, sometimes a backup hashkocha, and they're trying to meet what they call American standards. I don't know what that is exactly. <laughs> I'm only living here, you know, my whole life, but I don't know what American standards are really. I call it American Standard of Conscious, like the OU, the OK, the Kuf K, the Star K. That's what I call American Standard of Conscious. I don't know what they mean by American Conscious. But listen to what they say, because if you don't know this, it's new to you, great. I got five things that you should know. I know them, and, and, I, and many people I know do know some of these, but maybe not all five. So let me tell you, this is what ZNT, Rabbi Shmuel Wiener, wants you to know about Conscious in Israel. Number one, there's a misconception that the worst hechsher in Eretz Israel is better than the best one in the United States. That's not true. <laughs> False. Not true. Uh, the best hechsher, the worst hechsher in Eretz Israel is terrible. <laughs> That's a fact. I'm not going to discuss which one or take give a name or a place, but a bad hashkocha is a bad hashkocha. <laughs> Eretz Israel is maybe a holy country. And maybe there are, there are tremendous heights you can reach there, but you can also fall down. So a Berashkoch is a Berashkoch. That's it. Let's face facts. Now, and each city has a Rabbanut. A Rabbanut is the rabbinate of that city. And they are charged to accept any product certified by another city's rabbinate. So that means that we have the lowest standard is available under Hashkach of everybody. 
So it means that we, we it's the it's the lowest common denominator, not the highest common, the lowest common denominator. In addition to that, um, they're forced by the government to to broaden the kosher standards, and there's a list of recommended products, etc., which is a very low level of kosher, and that is the entry level that you must have in your rabbinate. And if anybody wants to have that standard, you have to certify them as kosher. So what they did, because there is a low standard of plain kosher in Israel, so they created ragil, which is plain kosher, and a higher level called mahadrin. So mahadrin, each kosher agency decides what's in the mahadrin, but but mahadrin is definitely a step in the right direction. Then not all mahadrins are the same. Now, uh, the the uh, Yushalayim <laughs> was trying to deal with this problem a little bit because Mahajan was very high. They had Baruch Hashem a nice high standard of in Yushalayim for, for Mahajan, and the Ragil, the regular standard, was very low. <laughs> so they decided to create a third standard, a middle one. Yushalayim is the only one I think that has it. They call it Muhuderes. It's not Mahadrin. It's muhuderes. It means more, you know, nicer, better. <laughs> it's like a step up from ragil. So now you have ragil, muhuderes, and mahadrin. And maybe someday we'll get mahadrin min hamadrin. <laughs> okay, but this is what's reality. That's the second point. Again, first point is that we don't say that the lowest standard in Israel is better than the highest in America. And the second point is that the rabbinates of each one have to accept the others. And the rabbinates have to accept a very wide range in order to give hashkacha. They're required to do that by the government. And so therefore, you have to look for a high standard of the rabbaniot. You have to look for a high standard of mahadrin. And I can't do all that tonight. The, the next thing that you should know is that there's a very big misunderstanding. And I know this for a fact. And every, I heard it a million times. Oh, for milchiks, no problem. You can go to anybody. Any rabbin in Hashkoch is good. That's, that's not true. There's problems with milchiks too. There's fish, and there's dairy, and there's, you know, in Israel you have a lot of the dairy is, could be produced on Shabbos. By, uh, yes, and the farms, sometimes they're open on Shabbos, and they're doing it on Shabbos. And there's big, different standards. Uh, and, and fish and things like that, and, and how careful they are? No, no, no. You need a good, maybe a good rabbanut, whatever, but you can't say a rule that every rabbinate is okay for dairy, which is a big, big misnomer. That's number three. The fourth one is the following. You don't need a pencil. You need four fingers. If you listen carefully, these are tier one in Israel. These four hashkachas almost pretty much you can get through the day with these four hashkachas. But these are the only, these are the top four hashkachas in Israel. How do I know? First of all, I'm reading it off a paper from the people who are living in Israel today, the Rabbi Wiener. But you can find out because any boy that goes to a yeshiva in Eretz Israel from America, any girl who goes to a seminary in Eretz Israel from America is given a list of recommended hashkachas. And everybody has been saying the same four names for 20, 30 years or more. So it, it must be fairly good. 
four names, you know, just the four fingers, Badats of the Eda Charedis. It has to say, Badats of Eda Charedis. Rav Moshe Yehuda Leib Landau, who is the Rav in Bnei Brak. Again, Rav Moshe Yehuda Leib Landau, who is the Landau, but that's spelled Landa, in the Rav, the, the, the Rav of Bnei Brak. But that's Mahadrin of Rabbi Avraham Rubin from Rehovot. Not Rehovot, but the Badatz Mahadrin, Rabbi Avraham Rubin of Rehovot. So these are three. And the fourth one is Shavis Yisrael from Bnei Brak. That's called Tier 1. If you live with that, you have no problems. You can go past there, you got to find out, you know, from somebody else. But that is... That's practice. It, it's strange to say that, but that's the information that everybody gives out. That's tier one. There's tier two and tier three, and many uh, many organizations and, and yeshivas and girls' schools say that you can use tier two and tier three. But everybody knows that tier one is tier one. The fifth thing is there's a common claim made by restaurants. We use ingredients from badatsim. And I remember seeing... In the Machina, I forgot which one it was. It wasn't Machina Yehuda, it was another one. Ashuk. It was, I saw Ashuk. And in, in the Shuk, maybe it was Machina Yehuda, I don't know. It was in a Shuk, it said, Tachat Habadats. <laughs> which Badats? There are at least 20 or more Badatsim in Israel. Badats means based din Sedek. It really means a base din. Uh, you know, the Jewish court. In reality, it's a Hashkoch organization. But Badatz, I can call myself a Badatz, you can call yourself a Badatz. Nobody controls it. And they use the word, you know, very very liberally. And there isn't anything backing it. And some of these people are total fakers. And they call themselves Badatz of something, or they make up a new name. They caught a guy. I forgot how old he was. I think he was a teenager, I believe. I believe he's a teenager. I have to go back and check my notes. They caught a, a fellow giving hashkachos. He took the names of, he took this, the, 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 um, he took the letters of certification from the different kashras agencies and he used that to, uh, to, you know, to falsify certain things and he's been giving false hashkachos for, for a while already and they finally caught him. But until they caught him, he got away with it. Now, the people who gave Hashgachah to, they knew who he was. They knew what was going on, but they didn't care. So, so that, but that's him. Please, don't waste my time. But a badatz is not a badatz unless it is really a badatz with real rabbis who are the real sit-down and working on this organization. And then don't call it the badatz, the badatz of who? Tell me who it is. Again, but the Eidach Haredes, I understand. That Badatz Eidach Haredes. But you say the Badatz, or we use ingredients from Badatzim. I had it recently, right here in the States. A woman is telling me, I only use Hamish ingredients. Do you have Ashkocha? No Ashkocha. She makes products. She sells them over the internet. From people are buying it. There is absolutely no Ashkocha. And the only thing is, I use very from ingredients. Well, the ingredients may be from, but 
how do I know even she's food? How do I know anything? I don't understand this. Is it in a crazy world we live in? People are buying food with no ashkocha based on the claim we use ingredients from Badatsim. So that's those are the five things that this Rabbi Wiener pointed out, which to me is the varm shutamabo, but it's good to hear it in, in case you haven't heard it before. Now I'm going to go on the time I have remaining. I want to discuss these were questions that were brought up at the uh, ACO conference uh, in the summer. I hadn't read the whole thing. It's I could tell you it was like 70 pages or something. I read part of it, but I haven't read all of it. And I, I went through this, and I, I want to share with you only a few of them, which I thought were extraordinarily interesting. I want to start with, again, what this means is that these questions were asked, and they had a what they call... Ask the POSIC session, and they had four rabbis there. I don't think that they're all called Poiskim, but that's what they called it because these are very well versed rabbis and uh, very high up in Kashrus. And therefore, they felt uh, in some cases they are Dayanim, at least in two cases they are Dayanim. So they felt that it was appropriate, and uh, they, that's how they, how they do it. And you're getting a very good answer. So these are answers from Rabbanim. I'm not going to give you their names. And sometimes they're going to be more than one answer, so we'll be different rabbis. But this last one here that I want to read, read now is not from those rabbis. It's from a Rabbi Zev Smith. So Rabbi Zev Smith is a Rosh Hashiv in Torvadas. And I want to tell you what he said, because this, uh, he has a discussion about when you're traveling. And one of the things he discusses is the magnetic key card, which all of you travelers know about the magnetic key card, that you're getting into your rooms with a magnetic key. And this is what he says. You cannot use the magnetic key card on Shabbos. Now, can you ask a non-Jew to do it for you? Asking a non-Jew to use the card for you would be an example of shvus to shvus, which means a drabanan on the rabbanan, which is two drabanans, which means that it's not as exciting as a breaking the Torah law. So it's one rabbinim, rabbinic thing, rabbinic thing on top of another rabbinic. They are tied together. That's called shvus the shvus. And in some cases, we're lenient with shvus the shvus. So it would be would be permitted to rely on that in order to go to shul to daven, because going to shul to daven is a mitzvah. That the halacha is shvus the shvus mitzvah is mutter, so you could tell the goy that's a drabonic, that's called amir lakum, and he's going to do this thing with the magnetic key, which seems to be a drabonin, and the two things, the two one drabonin, another drabonin is permissible in case of a mitzvah, like going to shul to daven, but even then. It should only be done when absolutely necessary. Getting into a routine where that is how one functions is a lack of Kedushas Shabbos. That's the key. People who travel, you know, they, they, they have the money, they have the time, it's a big deal to them, they love it, and, you know, to them it's, they call it a necessity. It's not a necessity. It's not like when you had to travel and you 
stuck in the woods on a snowy evening and you see a light at the end of the tunnel and you and you go you go to the through the forest and you go through the forest and you go to the, follow that light and it ends up in a house a non-jewish house and you have to stay there and there's certain heterim for you based upon that that's have to i don't have to go on a on a, a trip to uh you know by sea to spend two weeks traveling somewhere I don't have to go to this particular hotel. I don't have to stay in this hotel. I don't even have to go. So <laughs> you can't compare the situations. And therefore, yes, there may be some heterim for the going to the shul, to Davin, that you'll ask, you'll ask the goy to go ahead and use your magnetic key card. But if that's what you do all the time, there's something lacking in Shabbos. Now, here comes the more exciting one. Sensors. Everybody knows about the sensors. In some hotels, the closets, listen to this, if you've never been in these hotels, the closets are set up so that whenever you open the door, a light automatically goes on. Opening that door is considered like turning the switch on to turn the light on with the switch. And would be awesome, me the oiraisa. It's an Isa Doraisa, the Torah prohibition. Similarly, there's concern when the climate control is activated by the person's presence in the room. When you walk into the room, the heat or the air conditioning goes on. These scenarios are def- very different from security cameras in public places. And those, Rav Al Yashiv and Rav Nisim Karelitz, Lahavdim Bechaim Mechaim. I have permitted people to walk around even though their images are recorded by the cameras. In those cases, the camera operates regardless of your presence, and that is the basis for being lenient. It happens to be that that's not really the case anymore. A lot of the uh, the cameras only operate because of uh, when they when it detects movement. But be that as it may, there are those who will make it. I spoke to the Feinstein about it, and, and definitely there is such a thing as a cool on that. As far as seek ratio, the lonichale, that I have no interest in it. But when you come into that room with the air conditioning or the heat, you do have an interest in it. And that light goes on, you do have an interest in it. So you can't say it's lonichale, it doesn't bother me, I'm not interested in it. It, it's, not, it's not important to me. In reality, it is important to you. Whether you care, whether you would, you could live without it, I understand. But you are getting benefit that you are benefiting from. Not something that uh, somebody else put up for his benefit. In our case, the light or air conditioner only goes on when you take a specific action. And therefore, it's usser. So that's very clear that he's pointing out that you have these problems in the hotels. Some have suggested reasons to be lenient about this question, but those lines of reasoning are questionable. And therefore, there is no choice other than to cover over the senses before Shabbos. Good luck to you. I hope you catch them all. This may raise a financial Hosha Mishpah question with the hotel, that you'll be using more electricity than they expect. <laughs> well, someone else suggested that a person leave a helium balloon in front of an oscillating fan to trick the sensor into thinking somebody's in the room all the time. 
It's not clear how effective this is. <laughs> the bathroom. Rav Yashiv ruled that there is no option. If there's no option to use a toilet with a manual flush, then a person can use one that flushes automatically. In this case, we're relying that the flushing in the toilet is merely an isadrabanan, and it's permitted because of covered habrios, because you have to live that way. You can't uh, you can't live the way that other way in Shabbos? What if the lights go on and off in the bathroom when you enter and you go out of the bathroom? This is a difficult shiloh, since it involves an isadoraisa. If the light has a filament or an electronic electrical starter and the fluorescent ones. Now, Yashav ruled that in this case also, due to covered Abriya's consideration, one can ask a non-Jew to open the door, because you need to go to the bathroom. But the, and then if the sink, bathroom sink, turns on and off with a sensor, a person should not use that sink. Instead, they should clean their hands on a cloth, on a tissue, or anything that would clean it called meted minake. And that suffices even for davening. If someone mistakenly put their hands under that type of sink, they don't have to keep them there all shops. <laughs> they can just take them out. Okay, I understand that one. But again, look at how many things are going on and how important it is to make sure that you know in advance that you are not going to be running into these shallows. Now, I want to read to you a little piece that came out. I think you've seen it. Concussious currents from the Star K. It just came out. Um, it's fall 2018, volume 40, number four. And they have a piece there, Don't Miss the Boat. Very, very good piece, written by Rabbi Tzvi Goldberg from the Star K. And I'm just going to read to you one little piece from there because it ties into our discussion of electronics on Shabbos in a boat or in a hotel. Electronic cabin door locks and electric key automatic door opening mechanisms are used on cruise ships. Guests may leave keys at the front desk before Shabbos and ask non-Jewish staff members to open their door during Shabbos. So this is the star K position. When walking about the ship, it's preferable to use manual doors. If this isn't possible... One could wait until a non-Jew opens the door with his movement and walks th- and walks through them through the doorway. So not just your cabin on a cruise ship, all over the place, they have uh, doors that open with an electric eye. Very problematic. However, due to the difficulty in coordinating one's movements with that with that of another person, one should be cautious not to unwittingly activate the door. So I got to go on this cruise ship. It's cost four, five, six, or up to $10,000. And I got to make sure that I carry a goy with me at all times on Shabbos so that I don't end up not with me, but in front of me. You know, you got to walk with the goy to make sure that you're not breaking Shabbos. I'd rather spend the money elsewhere instead of having to having to run around with a with somebody else to help me open the doors. Ships may be equipped with sinks and toilets controlled by an electric eye, particularly in the common areas. That means not just in your room, but in the common areas where everybody else is on the ship. The bathroom may have automated lights that are activated when the door is open or one walks into the room. 
we suggest that one avoid travel on a ship that cannot offer a different system. That's a Star K opinion. Very nice. And I hand it to them. Don't go. <laughs> no, no, find a ship. It may, it may not be a luxury liner. It may be some leftover from the past. But find a ship that doesn't have all these improvements. I mean, it's, it's amazing how, how, how many challenges we have for the right, from the left, from front and from back, constantly being challenged, and yet people are ready to spend the money. There's no problem they have with it. And I think they have to make sure that they think a little bit before they, uh, they sign up. I'd like to read a few more questions that did come up at the ACO conference and without giving any particular names. This is one that's interesting to me because it talks about a mashkiach, and we just gave the mashkiach of the year award. It's going to be given out on Wednesday at the kosher fest. I'm not announcing anything about the uh, mashkiach, but you'll be hearing him next week. God willing, you'll hear him next week on Monday night at 6 o'clock. You'll hear from the mashkiach of the year that Kashmir's magazine chose as mashkiach of the year, and we gave him a thousand, we're giving him a thousand dollars on Wednesday. And it's a very exciting one. There's a special thing, as I said, I think I said it last week, he's out of this world. So I'll, you'll, I'll, next week you'll understand what I mean by him being out of this world. Does a mashkiach have to daven with a minion that will affect his ability to perform his duties? Going to shul may not directly affect his ability to provide hashkocha but it will mean he can see fewer factories, and that might also affect him financially and how much time he has with his family. So the problem is, does a mashkiach have to look for a minion? There is a potentially reason to be, this is the answer to the question, there is potentially reason to be lenient if that is the person's livelihood. They shouldn't have to go to a minion every day, which of course means he doesn't, which means that he's a, you know, an ar cheshben, he has to not go to Minyan. So we really should be appreciating the mysterious nefesh that these mashkichim make. They're doing it for us. I know a Rav that got up very early in the morning. He wasn't able to daven with a Minyan because he had to see something in Kashrus. It wasn't even his Ashkocha, but he said, I have to learn something in this particular place. I must go to that place. It was in Israel, and he needed to see this place even though he couldn't daven with a Minyan. So Rav, and he doesn't have anything to do with Hashkocha there, but he does have Hashkochas here in the States. There's a potential re- a reason to be lenient if that is the person's livelihood, but each person has to ask their own Shaila in this type of situation. In this context, it's worth noting that some are of the opinion that even in the year of Avelis, a person can miss Tvila Betzibur for such reason, as long as they say Kaddish once a day. That was what he said. Then he said a little later, if a person has a choice, he should generally daven before going to work, even if that's before the nates, which means very, very early. It's technically acceptable, but it's very early because, of, because people get distracted at work and they find it hard to leave for davening. I was with a Jew today, and he said to me that he tries to go to an early minion so that he doesn't daven under pressure, oh, I, I got to catch Mincha, uh, it's late. So he decided to always go to an early minion 
so that he can choose the time he davens. He says, it changed my whole davening. That's something to think about. Now, this is a question, I heard this even discussed on J-Root with another person recently. Do e-cigarettes require hashkocha? And the answer is yes. I'm sorry to break everybody's bubble. (laughs) They're flavored, and they're swallowed and absorbed, and therefore they require hashkocha. Finished. Now, another question, we're running out of time, so we're going to get only a few of them. Nowadays, people eat raw fish in sushi. And I'll add, they're eating it in that uh, Peruvian <laughs> fish, uh, I haven't got it in front of you, Peruvian fish, here it is. The Peruvian fish that they have in that restaurant, which is called caviche, or I made that pronunciation up. In any event, there are people eating uncooked raw fish. So does that mean you, that there's no bishalakam? It's edible raw? So he says, no. Firstly, only the freshest fish is sushi grade. And I just told you before, if not, you load it up with bacteria because it doesn't get killed. Even with the things they apply to it, it doesn't kill the bacteria. So you have to go and get the freshest possible. And if it's not really fresh, you're going to be sick. Very, very sick. So uh, that's number one. Other fish is not edible raw. So only grade A, 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 okay? Additionally, many people do not like the raw fish in their sushi and will only eat vegetable sushi. So you see that it's not a universally accepted thing to eat raw. Accordingly, we cannot classify standard fish as edible raw. And this is very important because one of the heterim that some of the cautious agencies rely upon to have fish that is not uh, that is not bishul Yisrael is because they say people eat raw fish because of sushi. And this rabbi, I'm not going to mention his name, doesn't agree. He says for two reasons. It's only certain grade of fish makes it for sushi. And two, a lot of people don't like sushi. No, they don't like the fish part. They don't like the raw fish. So I don't think it's a, it's considered to be a universal thing, at least in our society. Maybe in some countries, maybe it is. But here in America, I don't think it's a universal. And that's what this rabbi said. And so that's a question mark, and that's why you really need Bishal Yisrael on tuna fish. Okay. Or any fish. Now, we have time for one more, I think. Can I serve as a mashgiach for a Chal of Yisrael location if I eat Chal of Stam? Beautiful question. Beautiful. You know, we're not saying he's treif. We're not saying he's a bad person. But is he, is, is he capable of saying, I'm, I'm controlling Chal of Yisrael, when I don't think you need Chal of Yisrael, or I don't think you must have Chal of Yisrael? So therefore, is he trustworthy and acceptable as a mashkiach for a Chal Yisrael factory? The answer, which is very interesting. I wish I could tell you who it was from. It's a very interesting. If I could tell you who it was from, it's very interesting. Since there are different legitimate opinions as to whether one is required to eat Chal Yisrael, 
A person who is lenient can be mashkiach for a Chal Yisrael factory or restaurant. Very interesting. I'll take one more because there's a, a little time left. I think it's important to hear this one. What should be the policy for water glasses and glass dessert plates that are used only for cold? Can they be used for dairy after going through a meat dishwasher? And can you use them? Do uh, you need separate ones, uh, separate glasses for dairy and meat? And also, can you use them from the hotels? Before World War, this is the answer. Before World War II, people used the same glasses for meat and dairy because they couldn't afford to buy separate ones. And they relied on those who say that the glass doesn't absorb any taste. However, now, however, however, today, glass is relatively inexpensive, and everybody should have separate glasses for meat and dairy. Make sure it's clean, you know, that's what main reason. It's very difficult for a caterer to bring, if it's very difficult for a caterer to bring kosher glasses back and forth to an event, he can use the hotel's glasses if they're clean and only used for cold. Well, I want to tell the rabbi that 99.999% of the caterers use the glasses in the hotels, and they are clean, they're very perfectly clean, and they definitely use them, and there's nothing uh, that different. That's definitely, and they're using it for cold. That's pretty much commonly accepted. We're running out of time, and so just let me uh, welcome everybody again. If anyone wants to come to Kosher Fest tomorrow or to Wednesday, you have to pay to get in, but uh, it's a very wonderful program in Secaucus, New Jersey, in the Meadowlands. And uh, if, you cut, if you get there, stop by booth 843, say hello, and uh, we'll talk Kashmas together. And you can tell me anything that you want uh, or ask me anything you, you, you're interested in. And uh, if you'd like to reach me during the week, my telephone number is 718-336-8544. The Kashrus Magazine office uh, email address is kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. If you're interested in the magazine, a subscription of the Coach Supervision Guide, one of our other guides, you're interested in, in, in knowing more about different issues, give us a ring or send us an email. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.